The Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast is brought to you by the Office of Communications at the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. Zephaniah is saying, look, these Babylonians are powerful people. We need to stay true to our God. If we form alliances with false gods, we will lose the one protection we have, our God. Right. And we'll go into exile, and that's exactly what happened. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorla. I'm Adam Minahan. Uh, thanks for tuning in where we talk about all things Catholic happening in eastern Oklahoma. It's a awesome year to even start the podcast because uh, it's our 50th anniversary that we're, that we're, uh, of, of, of the diocese. And so um, throughout this year, we've kind of been reflecting on some of the things where we've been and, and also not only where we've been, but where we're you know wanting to go and, and what our vision is for, you know, five years, 10 years, like what it looks like in 20 years when everybody's Catholic here in Eastern Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, that's the that's the goal, right? Sure. Um, and so we thought it'd be good uh, when we had our, in February, when we had our 50th anniversary, when the official day, you, you gave a, a homily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we thought it'd be good for those who maybe didn't get a chance to participate uh, in, in, in the Mass and uh, hear your homily to kind of go through it. This is kind of the beauty of of podcasts, right? Is it gives the other people who maybe didn't get a chance to go to Holy Family, maybe they live in the rural communities, maybe uh, you know the people in Idabel don't get a chance to drive up here very often. But also, it was a weekday, and it was a weekday, so right? Which makes it even more difficult. Got to work. Um, so right. whether you're in I, uh, you know Idabel or Miami, Oklahoma, or or somewhere in between, it's it's uh, an opportunity to kind of. Share a, a, a little bit of the experience um, that you may not have been able to to be a part of. Sure. Yeah, I, as a part of the celebration. So what what we've done is we had the initial celebration. We had a cel- a mass to celebrate the actual event and day of the fiftieth. But we have various things going on throughout the year, and so then we were thinking, okay, we had this homily, but of course, limited people, so. Maybe we just run through it a little bit and, and unpack it a little bit. Homilies, you know, the Pope recently was saying that long homilies are a horror. <laughs> and uh, it seems like most of the Catholic people agree. I will say, however, that it both my own experience personally as someone listening to a homily and also what people have said to me as someone who preaches homilies is it simply depends on the quality of the homily. That's right. Uh, a lot depends on that. If it's if it's a boring homily, naturally, two people, minutes is too long. Right. But if it's something that is good or that people are really capturing, uh, then we have more attention span, so to speak. But in this homily, I was trying to capture, for us as a diocese, uh, a kind of a vision. What does it mean to say... We're celebrating 50 years uh, in light of the fact that we're in the year uh, 2023, so two millennia of Christian faith, and we don't know if there will be two million more years 
or two more years or tomorrow when the Lord will return. We literally don't know. It could be that this moment in time is like, you know, the moment in time that happened 12 billion years ago when the earth was still a ball of fire. It could be something like that. We don't know. But nonetheless, we try for the sake of ourselves who are living in this time to capture it. Uh, I began the homily by stating that anniversaries mark the past, but we celebrate them because of the future. Which, if we think about it, birthdays, anniversaries, all of those things, that's true. We can't go back into the past, but it is helpful to say, okay, uh, pretty soon, June 3rd, I'll be turning 63. Okay, I'll be 63. I can't do much with the 63 years in the past, but I'm going to be living in forward and knowing that I've lived 63 years, hopefully I've learned a few things, and I want to employ those going forward. So uh, we talked about going forward, the future, the future of the Diocese of Tulsa, I said at the time, was in, is entirely dependent on one thing, which has to do with Jesus and his lordship over us, and whether we will recognize that Jesus is our Lord or not in our life together, in our mission as a group of parishes, in our mission as a diocese, everything is entirely dependent on whether we recognize Jesus as Lord or not. Now, you, when you hear something like that, you might think to yourself, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Of course, he's Lord. Yes, Jesus is Lord, but hearken back to the scripture passage at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks his apostles, who do people say that I am? And they name off a number of things that people say about Jesus. But then in a very dramatic moment, he turns that question on that small group of men standing there with him that day and says, who do you say that I am? And only Peter had the courage to, to say anything. Because the answer to that question, who do you say that I am, requires a commitment on my part. I have to make a choice. If I say to Jesus, you are the Lord, then I'm saying I believe this. And if I believe it... There's consequences to that. There's consequences. I once preached a homily when I was trying to be evocative and, and uh, literary in a way, you know. And I was, I was preaching the homily from the perspective of Peter hanging upside down on the cross that he was crucified on. Mm -hmm. Because if you recall, St. Peter was martyred, was killed, as were all of them except John. And in his case... The tradition says that he was going to be crucified in the normal way, but he said, I'm not worthy to be uh, crucified in the manner of my Lord, and they hung him upside down. And I was in this imaginative homily reflecting on how Peter might have been sort of laughing to himself, that uh, his response to that question that day has brought him here. Hmm. And that's why no one else spoke up, <laughs> because 
it takes courage to answer the question for each of us. It takes courage to, in the midst of whatever's going on in our life, to stop and say to ourselves and to the Holy Spirit who is with us, is Jesus my Lord or not? Am I willing, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in my life, am I willing to say, Jesus, I will make you first in my life about everything. I will give everything in my life to you. That takes courage. Mm. It takes a decision, for one thing. This is not a passive thing. One can say <clears throat> that Jesus is Lord passively. Okay, Jesus is Lord, fine. I don't listen to him today. Uh, okay, Jesus is Lord. I make my own decisions about my marriage or about what I do with my life or my money or my children, etc. It's another thing to say Jesus is my Lord because I have said that he is. I have decided to make him my Lord. That's what I'm trying to, to capture in that first paragraph. We're going to put this in the show notes, right? The right, homily. yeah, the homily will be in our show notes. So uh, again, the, another reason to subscribe to the podcast so that way you can uh, look at the show notes and see yeah. everything that we, we put in there. But, but that's my point in saying that our whole life together is dependent on that one thing. Will we say that Jesus is our Lord or not, and will we tell others? Uh, can it be that simple? So then I ask the question, let's think it through. And it's, it is simple. It's one of these simple syllogisms. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus will absolutely prosper. Is there anything that can stop Jesus? There is nothing that can stop Jesus. Is there anything that can hold him down? Is there anything that can keep him from accomplishing his will and his mission? Nothing. Therefore, Jesus is going to prosper, and he is going to bear fruit because he is God, the Son of God. But if we're not united with him, how will his fruit, how will his prosperity enter our life? Will it enter our life? And that's the point. That's why this is such a crucial uh, decision for us to make. So, yes, it's simple. It's simple to understand that. Okay, I see it. It's a syllogism. I have it. But is it easy to do? It's not easy to do. That's why only Peter stood stood up. Um, we talked about Zephaniah in the homily because that was in the reading. We'll have to give them the reading uh, mm -hmm. citations as well. I forget what they were. Uh, Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah, he's preaching to people who are following a false god, false gods, the, the gods of the peoples around them. Uh, he's following, they're following these false gods. They have one god, the, the Jews. God has chosen them the one God. They're the only people who have one God. But when they come into the land and they come into these alliances with tribes around them and they begin intermarriage with tribes around them, just as the prophets foretold, they begin to fall away from God. They begin to follow these false gods. And Zephaniah is saying to them, if we continue down this path where we pretend that there are other gods then we will lose the one God. We will lose our, our um, connection to the one God. We will not experience his prosperity. We will not experience his fruit. And that's exactly what happened. In, in the providence of the scriptures, 
the Babylonians take over them. Yeah. They think, man, these Babylonians are powerful people. They're going to come and take over us. We need to form alliances with these people. Zephaniah is saying, look, these Babylonians are powerful people. We need to stay true to our God. If we form alliances with false gods, we will lose the one protection we have, our God. Right. And we'll go into exile, and that's exactly what happened. So that was sort of our example from the scripture of that day of the fact that this is easy to understand, a challenge to live and to do. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, you're thinking, like, how could they have so many different gods? That, that, that plays out in today's world too, right? Uh, uh, with the God of money and of power mm-hmm. or of lust. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're following, you can only serve one God, mm-hmm. right? So if you, if you fall into the serving these other gods, you know, when you get married, you get busy, you have families, and you, you forget that Jesus is Lord and that you've accepted, you know, by accepting that there are, con- you know, we say consequences, positive consequences mm-hmm. to that, right? Right. Um, but if you don't uh, keep that as your vision, as your why, as this is who I am, mm-hmm. and you start serving these other things, well, now all of a sudden you've lost... The, Jesus will accept, allow you to do that, right? right. He has, he gives you your free will. Right. Yeah, that's that's a. We were having part of this conversation earlier today that uh, the world today perhaps reacts against the idea of anything or anyone being Lord over me, because we even have in our language the the term someone lords it over me. Mm. Something's being lorded over me. Uh, so there is the negative. Someone who is not Lord, who does not have that kind of dignity or authority over me, pretending that they do, is in fact a bad thing. But if Jesus is the Son of God and the, the God who died on the cross to save my soul and that of my friends, my family members, everyone I love, etc., then I have nothing to fear of him being my Lord. Right. He has proven in the most dramatic way possible that he's worthy of my trust. That was, uh, uh, Pope Benedict said that very powerfully in a homily one time. I think at World Youth Day he was saying it, and he was telling the young people, you have nothing to fear from him, that he will not take anything from you that is good for you, that you must have or you need. Now, again, going with easy and challenge, we form ideas about what we must have, what what we can't live without, etc., and they're often wrong. Right. Uh, and so we have nothing to fear from Jesus being the Lord of our life. We have everything to gain. Um. We went on in the homily, we were talking about uh, the Holy Spirit and the, the, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows as he's preparing to ascend to the Father after his resurrection, he knows that he's going to give his disciples this powerful gift. And St. Paul will go so far as to say that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I come to that often during confirmation homilies. Uh, because, again, I want young people to understand uh, today you're being confirmed, but in receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit through this sacrament of confirmation, 
you're being invited into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you go home from this confirmation service and hang up your nice suit and your nice dress in the closet and forget what happened, if you don't form a relationship, a living, real, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit from this day forward, Mm -hmm. eventually you will forget that Jesus is Lord. Or you will begin to say it in that passive manner in which you say, Jesus is Lord the same way you say Mars is red. It's a fact that I happen to know out there, but I have not made him Lord of my life, so his being Lord doesn't affect my life. I still live my life my way. Mm. That, that, uh, <laughs> that great line of Peter Kreeft regarding the song of uh, Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, that wonderful song, beautiful song. I love the song. But Kreef says it's the song they sing in hell. Yeah, the song of hell. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I did it my way. So Paul is saying we can say the phrase, Jesus is Lord, Mm -hmm. but in a way that we say Mars is red. It's just a fact that's out there. It's passive. It doesn't affect me. But in the Holy Spirit, we say something different. And then I went on to say that the saints... And the martyrs particularly show us the difference. Uh, Stanley Rother, of course, is our Oklahoma martyr. It's not a great martyr. He's just an okay martyr. That's a a bishop dad joke. (laughs) Bishop dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's just an okay martyr. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) this, This was happening the week before we were dedicating his shrine, so that's why he was on our minds. Um, when you look at the lives of the saints and you look at even the life of someone like Stanley Rother, you're looking at people who lived in times and circumstances in which they might easily have been tempted to leave the church. Uh, Peter denied he knew the Lord three times. Stanley came home from Guatemala because he found out that his name was on a death list, a, a list of people to be assassinated by the death squads working in the area. But while home, he was so bothered because for him, Jesus is Lord of my life. He was so bothered by the knowledge that the people who I love and serve are there in Guatemala facing death squads, and here I am safe at home. Should I be here? I'm their pastor. He couldn't stand it, so he went back. It affected his life. He went back, even knowing that he might be killed. There was every possibility that he might not have. Mm -hmm. He didn't know that he would be killed. He just knew that he might be. But he still had the courage. That's what the difference is. When we talk about what is the difference between Jesus is Lord of my life versus Jesus is Lord like Mars is red, that's the difference. It makes me live in a different way. It makes me do different things. It makes me reach different decisions it makes me prioritize the life of my family in a different way. Uh, it makes me speak to others and look for opportunities to speak to others in a different way. We talk about evangelization <clears throat> a lot in the diocese. Sometimes people think that I can't evangelize because I don't know how to do it. I need some kind of a class on how to do it. Right. 
In, you know what we need? A program. A program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I, I need a program. I need to watch a podcast. Yeah. Um, yes, you can You can learn things. Particularly, you can learn what not to do. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's important. But the fact that you're baptized and the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in you is all you need to evangelize because you're not doing it anyway. It's going to be the Holy Spirit anyway. And if Jesus is the Lord of your life, it allows you to be less concerned about what will be the reaction of people to whom I evangelize. I think what people often are afraid of is that they think if I am going to evangelize, I have to go stand on a street corner and thump a Bible or something. You can evangelize by being faithful. Parents evangelize by bringing their children to Mass and explaining to the children why they, the parents, make it a point to go to Mass. Uh, Grandparents can evangelize simply by reading to children stories about saints and finding opportunities to tell the children why they love Jesus. Any grandparent can do that without needing a program. Mm -hmm. Why do I love Jesus? What has Jesus ever done for me? Holy mackerel, start making the list. Right. Um, And then just tell that to children in simple ways that they can understand. Uh, That's being evangelical. When you're at your, your workplace, don't invade people's space in life. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Right. But do look for opportunities to invite them to come with you to Mass or to say, this weekend we had the most amazing experience at the parish potluck. I, somebody said this to me, and I was thinking, blah, 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 whatever. Right. Simple ways, simple ways. <clears throat> but it starts with having made this decision that Jesus will be for me Lord of my life. Um, and this gift that you get, like, so... The gift that Jesus is Lord of my life, it like when you accept that, you realize you can't. It can't be contained. Right. Like you desire to share it. It's like mm-hmm. I want to share this good gift that I have. Uh, please be a part of this. And this is the beauty of you know the com- communion of uh, the mystical body of Christ. The mm-hmm. communion. The church is better when when everybody is there. Right. Right. And so it's just something that you can't contain for yourself. It's just like anything else. Like when you go see a good movie um, over the weekend and you go back to work and they say, how was your how was your you know, weekend? You say, oh, I can't wait to tell you about this movie that I just saw. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, I can't wait to tell you about uh, the friends that I was with this weekend. Uh, anything good that's happening to mm-hmm. you, you can't wait to share it with other people. Or even... Uh... This terrible tragedy struck my family, and I'm stunned. Mm. I'm relying on my faith. I do believe that Jesus is Lord of my life, but boy, I'm stunned. Something honest uh, like that. It doesn't have to all be roses. I mean, our life is not always roses, Yeah, but it can always be honest. Um, This this was a, a line from the homily. Speaking of the saints and the martyrs, uh, their answer always and forever is, Jesus is Lord. In my weakness and sin, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, 
I have chosen Jesus as the Lord of my life, of my mind, of my body, of my material possessions, and of my future, and in him is all my hope. So it's a way of understanding. It, it means that I make him the source of my life. Everything that I do, everything that I come to, all the ways that I come to act and, and react begins to change because of the relationship that I have with him. It gives me a sense of power. Um, I've told the story before of the grandmother who, who I ministered to and was working with in the hospital with her seven-year-old grandson who was dying of cancer. And for weeks he was in the hospital and she would not entertain the idea that he might not survive. And on the morning that he died, we were all there together in the room with the family and grandma was there and he died. And the machines wound down and the nurse turned them off and she began to praise the Lord. She began to praise God for the gift of his life and the gift he had been to the family. That's what it looks like. Jesus is Lord. I'm crushed. I can't believe that this young boy has died. But Jesus is Lord, so I believe that he is with the Lord. I believe that the Lord will help us to deal with this loss in our family and so forth. So, Lord of everything. Uh, I went on to talk about the, 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 the challenge, the dichotomy of the fact that the church exists always in a real culture, in an act, in an extant culture. And at various points in the church's history, people have had various complaints and criticisms about what the church was doing, teaching, saying, largely based on the political or cultural or historical milieu of whatever was going on. And in this moment, the church's moral teachings are a source of, of difficulty for many people. Uh, and sometimes people are scandalized to learn that the church teaches that. Well, gosh, everybody that I see in the social media world and all the famous uh, people in the world of opinion and so forth, they all say this. So, gosh, the church shouldn't do that. The most scandalous teaching of the church in every age, that was my response to that, the most scandalous teaching of the church in every age is this one. Jesus is Lord. That's the most scandalous thing the church can possibly teach, that a man is God. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Savior of the entire world. Only in him does anyone ever have hope of heaven. That's a scandal has always been. It's the reason why he was crucified and still is today. So the answer, it, it means that the answer to things that scandalize me within the church about what the church may be teaching is not to leave the church, but to stay and say, Jesus, I'm making you the Lord of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. But boy, I'm struggling with this. Mm. This is something that the church teaches. I don't understand why the church teaches it. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to try to understand at a deeper level or at a different level 
why is it taught this way or what does it mean and so forth. Um, but in terms of scandal, the church can teach nothing more scandalous than that Jesus is Lord. Um, so uh, then we went on and we, we talked about, uh, I was asking the question, what will happen in the next 50 years? We're celebrating 50 when the diocese was formed off of the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City uh, 50 years ago. No one knew all the things that would happen, but they all happened. And so what will happen in the next 50 years? Will the church and the diocese grow or shrink? Don't know. Will we enjoy religious freedom or persecution? Will our cultural and political unity as a country strengthen or weaken? Will we have economic success or will we find ourselves in poverty? Will we control our technology or will AI take over uh, and master us? Uh, when will it, what was the Terminator uh, company um, that, that took over the world? I forget the name of so, it. Yeah, anyway, we'll come back. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> put everything in the show notes you can't remember. But, but I was asking those questions if you, ask, if you think of those questions about the last 50 years, every one of them has happened. Growth and shrinking, uh, some, some religious freedom, some persecution, cultural and political unity goes up and down, et cetera, et cetera. So the answer to the question is yes, always, yes, and no, as it has always been. So there's not going to be something new likely, right? We'll face things in a new way, but the kinds of of uh, things that we will need, the kinds of virtues that we will need to face them, we already have in him. We have everything we need in him. Uh, the church and the diocese are not apart from the world. I recommend to people to go read Gaudium et Spes of the Second Vatican Council. If you haven't read it, you can look it up online, Gaudium et Spes. It's also the English title is The Church in the Modern World. It has a beautiful opening uh, statement of the church's solidarity with people in the world and all the things that people in the world are facing. It's just that the church has a particular experience because of her Lord that she thinks brings an answer to many of the world's problems, and she would like to contribute that to the ongoing human search for answers, right? So um, it's well worth reading. Uh, but again, it has to do with, with our belief that Jesus, because he is the Lord of my life and the Lord of the universe, he is also the answer to all the problems that we have. In him, we will find those answers. So the future of the diocese is not a question of politics or cultural ideology or demographics, but it's rather entirely a question of fidelity to Jesus Christ and to the church that he has given us. So often we, we hear or we ask the question, what does the church teach about X? But sometimes when that question is asked or when we use it, we may implicitly, unconsciously be thinking the church is separate from Jesus. So I'm curious what does the church say about it because the church is possibly wrong uh, and doesn't represent what Jesus would say about it. But the church is nothing but his bride. The church, 
the Pope is the, has the supreme authority in the church, right? That supreme authority only means that he is the head protector of the doctrine of the faith that Jesus has imparted to his bride. The church does not have authority to make things up whole cloth new. Mm -hmm. The church only has authority to continue to unfold the doctrine of faith, the treasury of, of the faith that Jesus has given her, and to maintain fidelity to that uh, sacred deposit. That's what her authority is for. Peter Kreef uses the image of saying, uh, the church is not the author, the church is the mailman. God is the author, and therefore only God has author's rights to change things. The church is the mailman. Her job is simply to deliver what God has given her. Here's what I'm giving you. Tell everyone. Uh, so that's the future of the diocese. It's wrapped up in our fidelity to Jesus Christ and to the church. It doesn't matter how big the church is or how small. It doesn't matter how poor or how wealthy the church is. It doesn't matter whether the culture loves and respects the church or whether the culture persecutes the church. The one thing that matters is that the church is faithful to her Lord. Uh, and if we're faithful to the Lord, we will bear fruit. Uh, and so that was... That was sort of the uh, the homily that we that we used on the 50th anniversary. We'll post it in the show notes so that you mm -hmm. can read through the homily itself. Uh, perhaps it's worth taking to prayer and to consider: Is Jesus Lord of my life? If not, should He be? Can I make Him so? Yeah, and it's a beautiful homily, and and something that we'll kind of use as we go on uh, <clears throat> through the diocese for the for the next few years and, and, and build upon. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, Bishop, thanks so much for, for hanging out the, today and for sharing for, for sharing this homily. Um, and like you said, it's in the show notes. We appreciate you tuning in to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. We'll see you next week. Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast can be found on your favorite streaming platform, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify.